Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. I really strongly believe that happy people are productive people. If you can look after the person, the individual, the the human being, not an employee, you get the employee for free. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Steve Doyle. Steve's the CEO of EV Aero Recruitment, a leading consultancy providing battery and EV companies with managers, engineers, and technical experts. Steve's exclusively and successfully led the recruitment of some of the UK's most rapidly growing and technically complex battery companies. Outside of work, Steve's a STEM ambassador teaching around 600 children every year about engineering. Steve joins us today to share his insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Steve. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. Yeah, hi, Amy. Nice to join you. Thanks for the invite. Well, thank you for joining us. So can you tell us a little bit about Avira, the organisation that you you run and what you're working towards, please? Okay, yeah. So Avira Recruitment, EV era, it's spelt. So hopefully that sort of makes sense. The, the age of the electric vehicle um, is a recruitment business set up to be hyper niche, very, very niche. And all we do is recruitment for in essence, batteries and the things that are associated with it in in terms of electrification. So that is, in essence, batteries, electric vehicles and the gigafactories where the batteries are made. Um, Company was uh, established in 2020, August 2020. We've grown pretty rapidly since then. Um, The the team has has grown uh, quite, quite significantly at quite a rate. And we've pretty much got it nailed down in the UK and now spreading further afield in terms of the customer base. We're working with almost all of the OEMs, all of the gigafactory companies, and the majority of the battery tech companies as well, helping them to build out their their technical and engineering teams. Fantastic. And so you've launched mid-pandemic, and you've grown to a team. How many people have you got now, did you say? got 15 people now. We're, we're still growing with uh, two or three people awaiting offers. Typically, it's, I've mentioned to you previously, Amy, recruitment agencies don't scale very well. It takes a long time to, to bring people into a business, get them trained. They build a desk. They get up to speed. The whole recruitment process from getting a job to getting um, somebody into a job can take two or three months. Mm-hmm. So recruiters typically, they're not profitable for three to six months even more. So, so scaling recruitment businesses is, is normally a little bit slower. We've removed the whole sales aspect of recruitment. Um, it's more along the lines of uh, Amazon. You place an order and they deliver. That's what we do. You place an order with us for an engineer, an electrochemist, a manager, whatever it might be. We have a team that then fill those jobs for you. So it's very much take the order, fill the job. So when people join our business, there is obviously an induction period and we give them technical knowledge and technical training, but they don't have to then start banging the phones trying to win jobs. So they get up to speed very quickly, get profitable quite quickly, and therefore we can hire again. So um, we're around 15 now. I would imagine by the end of this year, we could be 25-ish, something like that's probably where we're heading. Fantastic. And so as a leader of that kind of organisation, launch mid-pandemic, scaling quickly and some real success, what kind of challenges are you up against at the minute? I think singularly the greatest challenge is the skill shortage. 
If you go onto the Office for National Statistics and you look at the number of unfilled vacancies sitting in the UK at the moment, they've got fairly um, reliable data going right back to 2003. And the most vacancies we've ever had in the UK across the whole of uh, the spectrum of employment is around five, 600,000 vacancies. During um, 2020, mid-late 2020 COVID, um, that dropped down to a couple of hundred thousand. It's currently sitting at about 1.5 million unfilled jobs. Crazy. COVID has had multiple effects. Um, a lot of people retired early. A lot of people set up their own businesses. Some people decided not to go back to work, um, go back to different jobs. It's created all sorts of issues, which, which have been obvious to some of us. Things like the lorry drivers and mm-hmm. ambulance drivers, nurses, teachers. These things impact us on a daily basis. Yeah. But in the background, engineers, particularly in the battery and EV industry, have been hit also combined with a huge spike in the requirement Mm -hmm. because the other effect of covid is we all saw the dolphins swimming around in the canals in venice and these chinese you know mega cities where the smog suddenly lifted Mm -hmm. i think people became a little bit more aware of the environment and there has been a a real gear change in terms of the adoption of electric vehicles Mm -hmm. pre-covid um you know you've got tesla and leaf and a few vehicles out there Post-COVID, most people now are seriously considering taking on an EV. Um, That needs engineers, that needs batteries, therefore we need gigafactories. Mm -hmm. It's it's a a multi, well, a multiple of uh, things coming together at the same time. So, yeah, the biggest challenge is the skill shortage, trying to Mm -hmm. find people, trying to get hold of people. And, and, And I guess there are winners and losers. And, and the companies that we went with, I mean, the home page on our, our website, it says aiming to give our partners an unfair advantage. <laughs> and and that's sort of what Avira do. If they're working with us, we have ways of getting to those people. And there are losers, unfortunately. There are going to be companies that are losing more than they're taking on because not everyone can win when the demand is outstripping the supply. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a bit of a perfect storm at the moment, I guess, on both sides of the fence as well. So internal internally talent must be difficult to to come across although your employer brand i guess is elevating you that that is helping yeah but i've I've always said it's harder to recruit recruiters than engineers um particularly with the business model that we've we've adopted which is all about delivery so historically most recruiters are salespeople. they're not technical they're not engineering the last two people that i've taken on i've taken on an electrician and a service engineer who were just really personable, great mm-hmm. communicators, very smart, but they understood batteries, electricity, and all this stuff very quickly. So when the, cu- the customer comes to us with a requirement, they get into it really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I would, I'm more interested in technical knowledge and yes, communication yes. skills than the ability to go out and sell. We don't need that anymore. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so can you tell us a little bit about your journey into leadership then, Steve? How did that happen? And did you always have your sights set on running your own business, being chief exec? Or? I, do you know what? When I was at university, I studied as an engineer at university. Mm-hmm. I went to Nottingham. And my plan when I left university was to set up a small engineering company. That was always my plan. And I, was, I didn't know what it was going to be. And I was hoping university might give me some ideas. And I did have mm-hmm. a few ideas around some, some products um, you know, that span out of projects. But I ended up as an engineer working in huge automotive, huge aerospace companies, first three or four years of my 
um, career. Mm-hmm. Only accidentally did I move into recruitment. I wasn't enjoying engineering, went looking for jobs, spoke to a recruitment agency, ended up in recruitment. My technical knowledge was a huge advantage over the other recruiters that were around me. And I became pretty good at it. And therefore, I enjoyed it. And I think if you enjoy it, you can become quite passionate around it. And I think that my enthusiasm and my passion actually enjoying something attracted like-minded people. And and so I think it was organic from there that the first recruitment business that I worked in, I was an, an employee joined at the bottom of the ladder. And within a year, I was building an automotive team. Within two years, I'd built a team of uh, about 10 people within that business. Never was a plan. Um, but now, again, through an unusual sequence of events through COVID and, and various other reasons, decided the time was right to do a beer. And it feels really natural. This feels where I, uh, you know, so it feels like where I should have been really being able to do things in a way and not have to ask permission to do things in a certain way. And, uh, and when I say in a way it's, it's again, we've sort of touched on this previously, but it's, it's about people. I really mm-hmm. strongly believe that happy people are productive people. If you can look after the person, the individual, the, the human being, yeah. not, not an employee, you get the employee for free. So I'm, I'm all about, you know, the people that work in the company, making sure that they are supported, that they've got opportunity, that they are rewarded, that they're acknowledged, that they have a nice working environment, that they're happy, they've got flexibility. Uh-huh. And then the productivity that comes out of that is almost a byproduct. And, uh, and it's been a really, really liberating experience to be able to, to do that, uh-huh. you know, and, and to do it unquestionably, just, just to get, a, get stuck in and just do that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and see the success that comes from it. Yeah, yeah. We, which again is sort of a byproduct. You know, uh-huh. we, we don't we don't have financial targets as a business. We we're just doing what we do, enjoying what we're doing, um, keeping the customers happy, keeping the employees and the candidates um, happy, and and the, the, again the, the byproduct is success. And I think that's the way to to try and focus, try and uh, try and keep it working. Yeah, fantastic. And so do you, do you have characteristics that you think all great leaders should have? Is there a way that you would define a great leader in terms of... Really difficult question, isn't it? I, I, I guess there are great leaders with different characteristics depending on where, where they are leading. Yeah. I mean, with me, it's, it's an SME. So at the moment, um, it's a really competitive market recruitment. There are a lot of challenges in finding strong candidates. Mm-hmm. I think... For me, in my particular industry, um, keeping the team motivated and happy and passionate and proud of what they do and rewarded for what they do is 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 really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so for for me, leadership in my company is 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 leading by example, being part of the team, being accessible. Um, you know, everybody's got my personal phone number. I've got personal relationships with almost everybody within the company on the sense that they can call me anytime, day, evening, if they've got issues. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I support them in that sense. I guess great leaders in other organisations, different different settings might require different skills. Yeah, absolutely. But in, in terms of sort of the characteristics that you think are shared amongst great leaders, so that people focus for, that you just spoke about, do yeah. you think that, does that come from somewhere? Is that from a previous experience or a piece of advice that someone gave you, or is it just learned through experience of sort of what not to do? Because often you- I, I think I think I've seen what not to do. 
So mm-hmm. I've been in, in organisations where I didn't look up to the, the leadership necessarily. And, and I think I would never want to, to be in, in that situation. When you, when you talk about advice, um, yeah, I did receive a, a fantastic piece of advice um, when I was going to set this business up. And I'll, and I'll name names, but a gentleman, Brendan McCarthy, who is the ops director, it's a client of, of mine. And, um, and he said something very, very simple to me. And it's become almost a mantra of, of, of Vera. And he said, always put in more than you're taking out. And, mm-hmm. and I think that advice, I even use it with my children now. I've got a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old. Whether, whether it's your marriage, whether it's learning a musical instrument, schoolwork, a hobby, or what you do for a living, if mm-hmm. you're taking out more than you're putting in, eventually, whatever that entity is, will, will start to wither. Mm-hmm. And, and as I say, that could be anything as personal as a relationship or your work. And I say this to, to everybody through the recruitment process when you're joining Avira, um, first interview, second interview, or offer stage, and when you join, mm-hmm. I say, look, as long as you're taking out more than you're putting in, i.e. not taking the mickey, not saying mm-hmm. that'll do, then you will never be measured. We won't have to measure you. We won't need to, to say, what are you doing? How did you do that? Why did you do this? If, if you're putting the effort in and, mm-hmm. and not taking out more than you're putting in, it will work. It's as simple as that. We've got all of the tools. We're, we're, we're hiring people that are intelligent and have got the right sorts of experience. And, and quite simply, I say to people, once you reach the point that you, you know you're not trying anymore, mm-hmm. then it's time to go. Um, and and that's, that's the best way to do it. And, and I don't measure inputs at all. I don't measure the number of phone calls. I don't measure number of CVs sent. We don't target it. Sorry, we, when I say we don't measure, we know what's going on in the business, obviously, but I don't target it. Nobody is told they have to send this many CVs, have to make this many phone calls, have to set up this many yeah. interviews. If, uh, if we leave them to it and trust them, it's incredible the productivity that you can get out by giving people that freedom. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think often- Often it's the arbitrary KPIs that cause the problem, isn't it? Across many yeah. businesses, certainly in recruitment, but I think across many businesses, if they're just pulled out of the air and there is no sort of value system attached to those KPIs or no reason yeah. for them. That and, and you can understand where they come from. In you know, as as companies scale up, management want data, so they want uh-huh. to see figures, and then the the measurements stop becoming useful for the people at the coalface. They become useful for the people above. But the people at the coalface, if you're measuring them on number of CVs sent, yeah. trust me, on a Friday afternoon at three o'clock, a consultant will send five not very good CVs to a client to hit a target. Mm-hmm. And who has that benefited? Nobody, yeah. Yeah. apart from the management have got some data to look at. So, yeah, no, no measurements, no KPIs. Let's just let people get on with it, do things like grown-ups. Let them manage themselves. Absolutely. I remember being mid mid recession in a previous employed recruitment role and we had to do 250 contacts a week in a mid recession when nobody wanted to talk to us or were recruiting. And it was just push, push, push. push. And I think we probably annoyed a lot of people. Yeah, well, this is the thing, isn't it? Those those targets have consequences. Above above the the ability to measure your team, Mm -hmm. it will drive bad behaviour. And as an industry, those KPIs have brought recruitments to a point where, yes, it is a pain to a lot of people. HR managers don't want to take calls from recruiters. Mm -hmm. Candidates don't want to speak to recruiters because half the time they're only getting a phone call so that somebody can hit a target. 
At least when my team ring a candidate, it is always driven by an actual vacancy that is generally pretty well matched to what yeah. they do. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, KPIs have a lot to answer for. Absolutely. And thankfully, the industry appears to be shifting now. But I think back in that, I mean, I'm talking 2008, but it does, it feels like there are more people following in your footsteps, Steve, than doing the activities that we were doing back in 2008. In my Gosh, I remember like, 2008 very well. Yeah, it was doing automotive recruitment. That's how I got into batteries and EV, okay. because automotive recruitment literally died overnight. It was redundancies. Uh-huh not recruitment. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the only growth area at the time in, in what I understood was batteries and EV. It was the, it was small. It wasn't uh-huh. cool. It wasn't cool at that time. You know, Elon Musk and Tesla wasn't around, yeah. but um, well, not, not, not publicly. And uh, yeah, it was a difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I remember it well, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of advice, so you mentioned that, it was, did you say Brian McCarthy was the person that gave you that? Brent, Brendan McCarthy. Brendan yeah. McCarthy. He, he said it to me. Yeah. So that advice that Brendan McCarthy came to, it gave to you clearly has, has uh, been taken on board and you've run with that and it's had a great influence on you. Is there advice that you would offer to someone beyond that, that was looking to follow in your footsteps and either start their own enterprise or stepping up into a leadership role? Is there any advice that you would share with somebody beyond Brendan's advice? I, I think talking about recruitment, because that, that's what I know. I think if you're going to set up a company or a business in recruitment to try and lead your own business, you've genuinely got to be quite passionate about the sector that you go for. Mm-hmm. If you're going to just enter into it with a goal of financial targets, you, you don't have anything to add. There's, mm-hmm. there's no value there. And I think as, as a recruiter, you've got, to have, you've got to be able to bring something to the party. I, I talk to clients day in, day out, and probably 80% of the conversations that I have are to do with advice, you know, about building a recruitment brand or who the competition might be or, or what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, doing training with their managers on how to interview, introducing mm-hmm. them to behavioral interviewing, all the things that go around it because I'm interested and passionate about it. That's where the real value comes. It's not just a CV warehouse where you're word matching and spamming CVs. So I think those days are gone. So yeah, my my advice would be find your niche. I think, Mm -hmm. I think in recruitment, it, it has to be niche these days. The the, the generalist recruiters will still exist and will continue to exist. But I think as a startup, having a specific sector or something that you really understand deeply is going to be of, of benefit. Fantastic. True. And, then, and from a leadership perspective, then you spoke about your people focus and your we spoke earlier about the fact that you wouldn't um, measure an input if the output was where it needed mm-hmm. to be. So is there advice around sort of leading a team of people and bringing them with you on that journey that you could share? It, it's ironic, but I think the most important thing is, again, recruitment. I, I think leadership becomes easy if your recruitment process is good. Mm-hmm. I think if you've got the right people around you, that is a massive head start. And rather than firefighting and dealing with politics or issues or poor performance or absenteeism and all the other things that go with, with recruiting the wrong people into a business, I think my advice would be to really take a lot of time on thinking about how you're going to build your team, structure your team, who's going to run your team, what responsibility you give to that team. Within the first year of me having the business, I've broken off a significant share of those business, of the business, and given it to the team. So we've got share schemes already in place. Um, you know, so 
making people realize that they're going to be part of the success very, very early on, you know, not waiting 10 years until we've, you know, we know it's all stable. Let's get them, let's get them involved now. Let's get everybody there. And I think, I think recruiting the right people for me has made leading this business easier. Mm-hmm. We, we have very, very few issues in terms of in, almost none in terms of performance or absenteeism or politics. Um, everybody is involved in the recruitment process. Sounds crazy with 15 people, but everybody has a say that, that the final stage of the recruitment process is a presentation to the team. And obviously at some point, companies can't do that with everybody, uh-huh. but the whole team gets to meet any new hire. And then following the final interview, we'll have an open office discussion. And if anybody puts their hand up and says there's a red flag, we'll discuss it. So everybody coming in has been introduced to everybody and has been part of the recruitment process with everyone. So it really builds that sort of not this is your new boss or this is your new employee. Everyone's involved in every stage. So I think I think recruitment really helps you as a leader if you can get that right. Yeah, yeah. bring the right people in in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And from a leadership perspective, then you mentioned Elon Musk. I don't know if he's if he's someone you particularly admire, but are there leaders that you particularly admire, past or present, famous or otherwise? Does anybody stand out for you as a role model? Do you, do you know what? Um, there's a gentleman who helped me get this business off the ground. His name's David Roberts, and he um, he is an inspiration to to not just me but to, to thousands of people. He he has involvements with. 20 plus businesses, serial entrepreneur um, in, in his late 60s now. And what David has taught me when he very first started speaking to me and gave me a small amount of funding to, you know, sort of set this, this company up is you don't need to have the answers when you, when you set off. You, you mm-hmm. can build the plane as you're flying it. You can, um, you know, sort of take a chance and take a few risks. David, um, has done some things um, with other organizations as well. Um, one in particular was a company that was called Arlington Automotive, used to be called Remploy, employs people with about 30% disability. Mm-hmm. And at the start of COVID, um, they got into financial difficulty. They made a large number of people with disabilities um, redundant. Uh, the business came up for sale. David bought it. And the first thing he did was re-employ all of those people, even though... Some of them maybe didn't have a lot to do, but it it was more important to him that these people would be able to be employed. People that quite often had quite significant disabilities and have been working there a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he renamed the company Evtech, and they continue to employ about thirty percent people with disability. I think David's a fantastic, inspirational guy. He's all about the environment. He's all about people. He's all about ESG and and yeah. corporate social responsibility. But um, somebody that actually delivers on it just doesn't use it as a badge mm-hmm. um is also as a person as an individual just got a a way about him where if you you could be worried you could be stressed you could be um you know some issues challenges in front of you you have a meeting with david you walk outside you you hear that there's birds tweeting the trees you notice <laughs> you notice that the bugs are coming out he, he brings things down to a really nice place about, you know, it's important to remember who you are, what it's about, be very mindful, be in the moment. And yeah, 
Yeah, David's, David's been an absolute inspiration to me. He's, he's a fantastic guy and, and not just me. I, I am an elephant, a, a flea on an elephant's back in, in terms of David's businesses. He's got huge businesses all over the world. I'm probably one of his smallest ones, but uh, he's been great. Yeah, really, really good guy. He sounds fantastic. That's great. And exactly what you need, especially in the early days of starting a recruitment business mid pandemic as well. Do you know you've. Yeah, it, just, just reassurance, you know, sometimes kind words. Um, sometimes just give you a little bit of courage, you know, yeah. when, when it's lacking. Um, and, and sometimes just, just sort of someone just to bounce off, just to reinforce what you're thinking. And, and I have reached the point. He was involved very early on, and we 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 we, we talk um, regularly now. But more often, it's not about Avira. It'll be, be about other projects or other things that are going on. Is a is a really great guy. A lot of people would say that. I know I know a lot of people that David's worked with, or have worked with David, or are working with David, and everybody mm-hmm. has a similar story. Fantastic. Really, really inspirational guy. That's great. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. And and so in terms of questions that I always like to ask, so this one's a selfish one, but I always want to understand from uh, leaders that I speak with, what are they reading? What are they listening to? What are you consuming? Whether that's podcasts or other content or books, do you have any recommendations for what people in leadership you know what? do? I'm, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to say I'm not reading anything at the moment. Um, holidays was always my time to, to yes. read. Yeah. kick back and read and uh with a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old i'm just getting to the point now where i actually get time on my own i'm also a single dad with both of them so it's sort of candle burning at both ends yeah mm-hmm. but i i do read a lot to to both my kids and particularly my son at the moment now my 13-year-old daughter wouldn't be too pleased i don't think if i <laughs> sat on the end of her bed started reading her book and, yeah i'm talking to my friends but um but my son loves it and a book we just read recently, I'm, I'm reading Stig at a Dump at the moment, which okay. I read as a kid, which yeah, yeah. is which is surprising, actually. Kids smoking and things like that in it. But anyway, um, we read a book just recently, and it was called um, The Boy at the Back of the Class. And it's uh, it's about a little um, boy, uh, about 10 years old, um, Syrian refugee, uh, who turns up at the back of this class. And it's written by... Uh, obviously an adult, but pretending to be one of those children and, mm-hmm. and what they experienced from this little quiet kid that sat at the back and how they eventually learned of his journey, you know, from Syria to, to London. Mm-hmm. And I think in view of what's going on at the moment in Ukraine and, and mass migration across Europe, I, I think it's a book that not just children, but all adults should have a little read of as well. It's yeah. uh, It was one of those books we put it down and... You know, I had to sort of quietly sneak out of the room because I was choked. You know, yeah. it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Boy at the back of the class, you know, wow. su- suitable from anything from about eight years to 80, I think. Great recommendation. I, in a previous life, I used to teach English to refugees and asylum seekers. And some of the stories of their journeys to to the UK are just mind, mind-blowing and heartbreaking. It, it's off the scale. It's off the scale. Yeah. And you know what? I'm, I was sitting in my son's room reading it. You know, I read 10, 20 pages a night, something like that. And it, it wasn't until towards the end of the book that I realised my 13-year-old daughter down the corridor <laughs> had a door open and had actually <laughs> stopped stopped on Snapchat or TikTok or whatever she's doing <laughs> and was listening in to the story. So, yeah. And it's lovely to know then that my son, you know, he knows what a refugee is and he knows mm-hmm. what's going on in these children's lives. And and views it in a way, um, you know, not sort of uh, the, the, the old fashioned coming over here, taking our jobs, you actually yeah. realise what, what's going on. And um, and you, you need a bit more compassion 
It's a, it's a wonderful book, wonderful book. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, like compassion and empathy. It's not a cure-all, but it is the way forward, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. Great recommendation. Thank you for that. And, and so you mentioned you've got growth on the card, you're just order-taking, things are going through the roof. Can you share sort of what else is going on in the next six, nine, 12 months at Avera? Yeah, so, so we've got... Uh, around sort of 12, 14 main clients that we work with. We don't mm. um, chase jobs, as I told you. There's no sales. Yeah. We just take projects on. Some of those are pretty big projects. Um, Teva Trucks, um, electric truck company down in Essex. We've put about 140 people in there over the last 12 months. And UK BIC and British Vault, sort of gigafactory companies. We've now had inquiries from further afield. So uh, we've had probably about six or seven inquiries from California. Um, Really big battery and EV industry over there. Mm -hmm. We've started to get noticed um, and we've had inquiries from Europe, um, specifically RIMAC, who we've just signed terms with, and and Artemis, which is a division of Audi, are looking to work with us. So there might be a office, an office in California on the cards. There could be something in Europe where... We're working uh, with with a, another agency that's got some good experience over there, um, and maybe we'll be some sort of joint venture, you know, just to get a footprint initially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to be honest with you, there's sort of distractions because because it is growing so fast in the UK and and all over Europe. Um, I think we will do it. I think we will expand into have an office in California, one in Europe. But there's more than enough to be getting on here at the moment. Yeah. It's it's really trying to put a lid on it and keep it um, growing in a way that's sustainable, not dropping our standards, not just putting bums on seats within the office because then it goes against everything that we have yeah. you know, yeah. stand for. So we're going to try and grow at a reasonable pace, you know, 20, 25 people by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And then potentially, and I've already spoken to the team, just have a chat, see how we feel, what feels right. Does this feel right? Are we a company that should be about 25 people or should we be twice as big? You know, what do you lot like? What do you enjoy? What feels good for you? And if the general feedback from the team is, well, this actually works, this, you know, we've got a really, you know, we've got a rhythm and it's mm-hmm. happy, then maybe we don't start looking for 50, 100, 200 people. Maybe we do sort of level off. We haven't decided. Yeah. But I think... Ultimately, if the aim is to keep the team happy, then the team have got to have input into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, we're only we're only looking towards about the end of this year, I think, um, yeah. and then we'll see where where we are. We have all of our appraisals at the end of the year. We'll have nice open conversations with everybody and see what the plan would be for next year. Yeah, I think realistically, the way things are at the moment, that's all you can do. The horizon scan in three to five years, thats I, I think that's long gone. I think we can only go in 12-month sprints, can't we? Crystal ball. Yeah, crystal yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky to know what I'm doing next week, to be honest with you. But I think <laughs> any, anything after the weekend is uh, another world. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us, given that. <laughs> so no, no, it's absolutely fine. It's been brilliant speaking with you again. Brilliant. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for your time.